0: So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.
1: Why did Kyler Murray win the Heisman Trophy over Tua Tagovailoa? And the coaching carousel has started in college football. Some named players are skipping bowl games to prepare for the NFL. And how important is USF's bowl game against Marshall? Recruiting starts next week. We've got all of that to break down and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay with Times College football writer Matt Baker in just a moment. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you're like me and you're sick and tired of paying high electric bills, my last electric bill was well over $300, and that's crazy. But if you want to save 90 to 95% on your electric bill, listen to me now. May Electric Solar, they're a locally-owned company, They have the uh, safest solar available. They don't use high voltage like other companies. And May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on all their equipment and labor, and they have a full showroom where you can see their products, and they are open weekdays. May Electric Solar has been around for 12 years. They've earned a great reputation with customers and peers. Now, there are many other solar companies, and they're out there. They're imitating them. They're trying to use their great name. Remember, May Electric Solar does not use subcontractors, and they will not subcontract for any other company in any other way. Everyone knows that it has to be May all the way. So stop the insanity of the out-of-control electric bill. Start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. You call right now. You can also receive a 30% tax credit by changing to solar energy through 2019. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. Matt Baker joins us now, and Matt, when we last talked, uh, you had a Heisman ballot. You didn't reveal it, but we do know that Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray uh, won the Heisman over Tua uh, Tagovailoa, and uh, it was it was close. I'm five hundred and seventeen, I guess, of the 878 1st place votes. Twenty one hundred sixty seven points. Uh, tag, you know, Tua got like two ninety nine and one one eight seven one. So it. It was the most points by a runner-up, I guess, in Heisman history. First of all, right. who did you vote for and why?
2: Yeah, so my ballot was, was pretty chalky. I, I had Kyler Murray at one, two at two, and Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State at, at three. Um, what, and, and what I wrote over the weekend was, I, I assumed for most of the season it was two, and, and and then I was going to have to figure out two and three. Um but obviously, Tua did not look like himself in the SEC title game. He he his his passes didn't have the same zip. They they just he didn't look right. And obviously, he's been you know he's had the knee injury, kind of been a little uh, banged up there the, for for most of the season. And um, he, obviously, he had the the ankle injury that forced him out. But he just didn't look right. Whereas Kyler Murray had a great game uh, against against Texas. That didn't cause Tua to lose my my top place vote. What it caused me to do was take a step back and say, OK, and I probably would have done this anyway. But All right, let's let's take a step back. Let's reevaluate their entire season, the entire body of work now that it's not as crystal clear as it was. And and what I saw was obviously two really, 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 really good quarterbacks. Any other year that I've done this to, um, I would certainly think have been would have been tops on my ballot. But, you know, he just happened to be going up against a, a guy, Kyler Murray, who had you know, the highest um, passing efficiency in the history of college football. I believe his yards per attempt is also on pace to break the NCAA record. He is leading a playoff team that has a terrible defense, and it's all because of the offense that he's leading. That, by the way, is also on track to break an NCAA record in, in yards per play. So you put all that stuff together. You, you add in, you know, two is a, a, a good runner. He's, he's more than capable there. Kyler Murray is a great runner. I mean, he is a heck of an athlete, and, and as a different dimension there. You know, again, Tua. That's not to knock Tua because if, again, I think he's going to be the number one pick here in a couple of years. But Kyler just had a little bit more edge there that gave him the slightest, uh, you know, slightest advantage over Tua on my ballot. I, I certainly understand people who voted the other way, but in my mind, it was it was Kyler Murray, um, Tua Tagapaloa, and, and Dwayne Haskins at three.
1: How much did you consider the conference they play in? And what I mean by that is, it's hard to project what Tua would do in an Oklahoma-style offense. He's not the runner you said, but I mean, here's a guy that didn't throw an interception until November third, yep. um, and and he had, you know, his opening. He, he led Alabama to touchdowns, you know, opening drives ten of thirteen games. Yep. Um. And 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 this is against the SEC, which is generally considered a more balanced, if not better overall top to bottom, uh, conference. So did that, did that weigh in it to it at all with you? I mean, you talked about Oklahoma's defense, but you know, pretty much every defense in, in the big 12 isn't, isn't very good. <laughs> that, that is, that is correct. Texas's
2: defense was d- decent. So, um, but yeah, most of the rest, it, it was not very good at all. Um, so that's something I, I factored in, <clears throat> but I didn't want to punish a guy too, too much. Because of he did really well against he played against the guys that that he played. I, again, I, I understand that that's something that that affects it, but it's kind of hard for me to quantify it in another way. Um, right. So here's what here's what I did look at. <clears throat> um, in, in OU's six biggest games, Murray, you know, the stats I had for him seventy three completed seventy three percent of his passes, nineteen hundred yards, seventeen touchdowns, three picks. Uh, Tua in his six biggest games for Bama, he had fewer yards completed 10% fewer passes with fewer touchdowns and one more interception. That to me was kind of a, a telling stat where, again, they're, they're both great quarterbacks. I'm not trying to, to diss Tua, who is, is is fantastic and very well might win the Heisman next year and lead Bama to a title this year and next, for all we know. But as I'm evaluating things, you have to take the, te- the level of competition into consideration. But you also have to look just how did he do in those biggest games? Because he can't control how good... The, the, the defense he's facing, all he can tr- control is what he does. And in the biggest games, he was just a, a smidge better than, than Tua was.
1: You mentioned, of course, the Georgia game. Um, You know, Tua was certainly didn't play well. He was injured. And, and in fact, you know, they needed Jalen Hurts to come off the bench to win it. And I think it's there's I think it's reasonable to wait until after those conference championships before you submit your ballot. I can't imagine people would do that before, but I, I suppose some people did. Um, there were like
2: thirteen percent like or ten percent of the voters who did. It's dumb. I didn't I me. went I went yeah. off on this last week. Let's let's keep on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. You. No, that's
1: a, I, look I'm with you on this. <laughs> I, I think it's it's incredibly stupid to not have all the information. And yet that said, I think that maybe Tua over overall, I'm not saying you did this, but overall I think probably got a little held to a little more um, scrutiny than he probably deserved, only because He's playing against a very good Georgia team, and he was injured, and I think he clearly wasn't the same guy. Um, And but because he had a bad game, and they won the game uh, with another quarterback coming off the bench, I think if there was if there was a deciding factor at all for all the voters, that probably hurt him as much as anything.
2: Absolutely, it did. I mean, there there is you can't really control the recency bias. I mean, that's the last image of your head for for me was Tua struggling. And on yep. the other side was Kyler Murray, who had this, you know, beautiful lofted, uh, lofted a to touchdown pass that kind of sealed mm-hmm. it against Texas. So that's something you can't get out of your head. But like I said, I tried to move on from that a little bit and just evaluate the, the seasons as as a whole. Um, yeah, the top. But years, yeah, it, it was, didn't. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and it it didn't help Tua. I'm not going to deny that it didn't it didn't help mm-hmm. him at all. And, and the fact that Bama won without him again he's a great player but there's a lot of other reasons there too whereas if you took again this is a hypothetical i can't prove but if you took kyler murray away from the sooners there would be a big drop off they wouldn't have won the big 12 they certainly wouldn't be in the playoff you know eight nine wins maybe again that's a hypothetical i can't prove whereas i think if you had took two off of bama they might still be in the same place
1: yeah, it's interesting. Um, how much of this do you think uh, will become bulletin board material for their game against Oklahoma? All of it. And will Tua be the starter? <laughs> I would assume, right? I mean, are they, are they going to go to Hertz? I mean, what what is the thought there? With uh, uh, I guess it depends on his health, right?
2: Yeah, co- correct. It depends on his health. Um, Tua had a you know had had an ankle injury. I think they they scoped it is, is what it was, and they typically mm-hmm. say that's probably a couple weeks to to get back, and so. Again, everything that we've seen, they they think Tua should be ready to go, but we'll see how he progresses and and whether he's he's uh, physically capable. If he's physically capable enough, he's the guy. I, I don't think there's any yeah. question. But it's just a matter of um, how is how is his ankle and how is his health and, and is he ready um, versus a closer to 100 percent Jalen Hurts. And, and the the other thing, the bulletin board material, yeah, that that's it. I, I can tell you just from my my emails um, Sunday morning. <laughs> Uh so, some, uh, I assume he was a Bama fan. It, it was hoping that I will be uh, man enough to apologize to Tua and everybody else on this, after December 29th when Tua and, and Bama destroy uh, Kyler Murray and OU and, and Murray looks terrible and this that and the other. I'm like well, I, I can't predict the future. Like I, I wish we waited until the after the, the very end of the season. Um, to do all, all, a lot of this stuff maybe not all American teams but certainly Heisman coach of the year that sort of thing because that's going to have you know when, when I look back on this year in five ten years well I'll remember how it ends at, in, in, a, in a lot of ways even more so than in some of the other stuff so that that stuff matters I wish we could take it into consideration but the fact is we can't so I'm not going to worry about what my about my how silly my Heisman vote looks if if to a you know, throws for 30 touchdowns, and Kyler Murray throws 10 interceptions. I, I I can't do that, man. That's not worth it.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't beat myself up over it. Also, Tua has the advantage of going against Oklahoma's defense, whereas Correct. Murray has to play Alabama. So Correct. if you turned it around, you probably would have a, a much different uh, outcome anyway. So uh, there's that. Um, let's talk a, a little bit about uh, the coaching carousel, which has just yep. begun to spin um, somewhat. And we'll start with uh, Jeff Collins your thoughts about him going to Georgia Tech
2: yeah Georgia Tech is a is a really interesting job for me you know Paul Johnson had been seem you know it seemed like he'd been there forever it seemed like he had been on the hot seat for a while and obviously the loss you know his loss to to USF didn't help in in those matters um, but uh, he he finally decided to hang it up Georgia Tech's a really really good job I mean Atlanta and Georgia as a whole is becoming such a hotbed for high school football. there's so many good coaches in the state of Florida in particular that are leaving for jobs in Georgia where they can get paid a lot more money. Um, and that's one of the reasons why high school football in Georgia is growing. Atlanta is right in the middle of it. And Georgia Tech is right in the middle of that. So th- there are people in the profession who view Georgia Tech as a, you know, a, a sleeping giant kind of thing, kind of like what Georgia had been for a bit Um but So Georgia Tech has a chance to be a really, really good program. Look at where they are in the, the crappy division of the uh, the ACC. I think the Coastals had a different representative in the conference title game each of the last six years, which is kind of crazy. So the Coastal is there for the taking, is my point. And uh, you know Jeff Collins, I think, is a guy who can do it. He was an assistant coach, the um, defensive coordinator under Dan Mullen at Mississippi State, D.C. under Jim McElwain uh, at, at Florida before getting the, the Temple job where he did a very good job. Um, Energetics I think is a sharp guy I think he's going to have the potential uh, The first year or two is going to be rough As Georgia Tech transitions from the triple option Flexbone stuff to whatever it is They're going to do in the future But I think once he gets that going Georgia Tech might wake up And might become one of the top teams in the Coastal And kind of get above that 7-6 and Coastal soup Into a really good program That can start really challenging the Clemsons And potentially FSU in the future For ACC titles
1: yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think Georgia Tech uh, could become one of those sleeping giants, if you will. Uh, what's weird is going to be not seeing the triple option. Do you think there was any consideration of finding coaches? Because there are some in the, in the country that, that would continue that.
2: Yeah, I'm sure that's something that uh, the, the fan bait, some, certain parts of the fan base wanted. But I also think that, you know, the, the head honchos decided it wouldn't be a bad thing to modernize a little bit. I mean, if they wanted to do that triple option, you know, like, look at kind of what Willie Fritz does, has done at Tulane. He's a guy that I think should be moving up here in the next year or two to um, get a fine job there. Uh, Munkin at um, Army is similar. So if they wanted to do that, they certainly could have found ways. But I think Jeff Collins is going to energize it in a different way. I think he's going to be recruited at a... A high level now. Georgia Tech has has tough academic standards, um, so he's going to have to do it a little bit differently. Um, but I, but he's a, he's a, again high energy, uh, good recruiter that I think is going to boost the talent level there, and we'll see what t- style of play they end up doing. But I think he's got a chance to do a very good job and kind of modernize Georgia Tech and make it into a uh, 21st century good program.
1: I think uh, one of the things that people locally or certainly in the state are interested in um, are not just head coaching changes, but also to assistant coaches. And we'll start at Florida State where, let's face it, Willie Taggart can use some help. And uh, the mm-hmm. latest information might be that they're looking at uh, the Houston offensive coordinator Kendall Bryles, which is an in, would be an interesting hire for Florida State. What would you make of that? Well, it's not a,
2: As we're recording here Wednesday morning, it's not a, a done deal. I don't know if it will happen, but it, it is le- a legitimate possibility. It, it's something, Rick. <laughs> I mean, there, there,
1: there's some history there. <laughs> there.
2: There's, there's a little bit. Um, so there's two thoughts. First, we'll start with the easy one, which is football, and it's a. It would be a great hire um again just football kendall bryles has been an offensive coordinator for four seasons three of those years he had one of the top 10 or top eight scoring offenses in the country um schematic so we, we know we can do it i mean uh, he has averaged you know 40 something points a game at houston had derrick king i think third in the country uh, his quarterback in terms of touchdowns responsible for did a good job on lane Kiffin's staff um at, at fau last year again had the number one scoring offense in the country at Baylor in 15. So we know X is a no is why dude knows what he's doing. Um, and, and schematically, what he has done over his career and what Woody Taggart has done with the Gulf Coast offense, they have some similarities. Again, that's not identical, but some of the the principles, you know, spread you out from sideline to sideline, even outside the numbers. Um, some of the formations are similar. The hurry ups uh, up tempo, all that stuff is, is comparable. Again, not identical, but there's a lot of similarities there. So from an X's and O's offense only standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, but it's not that simple with Florida State mm-hmm. or with Bryles for that matter. I mean, Bryles obviously you know you know the last name. His dad Art was the uh, now disgraced head coach at Baylor, who was in charge when they had a you know a enormous sexual assault scandal. Depending on the estimates and and what you believe, there were anywhere from I think it's nineteen to thirty one players involved with. Uh, either physical violence or sexual violence, crimes of that nature, or accusations of that nature in a four-year span. Um, mm-hmm. Kendall Bryles, obviously, was Art's son, or is Art's son. He was on staff for that. Um, there were accusations of kind of a show him a good time recruiting culture when Kendall Bryles was one of the guys in charge of recruiting. Um, and then the the big one, uh, according to one of the lawsuits, again, lawsuits, plural, under Title IX, um, Filed against Baylor because of this, um, he supposedly told a, a recruit during one of the pitches, um, "If do you like white women? Because we have a lot of them at Baylor, and they all love football players." Ouch. That, yeah. So you put all that. You, you take the the football stuff, which is obviously good and would make a lot of sense, with the the off the field. Um, you know, Title Nine stuff, and add in Florida State's history. I mean, it's not that far removed from the Jameis Winston scandal. They just kicked a guy off the team and out of school. I think it was in May, Josh Ball, um, for Title IX reasons because of uh, you know, accusations of uh, dating violence against his then girlfriend. Yeah. there's a there's a lot there, Rick. Um, I, I don't know what they're yeah. going to do. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised again as we're recording this Wednesday morning. Uh, I have I'll put it this way I have stories written in case they do hire him but until some until somebody pulls the trigger I don't know that it's going to happen
1: if they did what would the what I mean obviously those stories will be front and center uh, about what filter if any Florida State has after some of the things that have happened there particularly with Jameis Winston but but at Baylor in particular Uh, so I mean would you expect the fallout at all I mean you know the culture in, in Seminole land. Yeah, there 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 will be some people who are very unhappy
2: that that's that's going to be pretty clear there there will be a certain segment of the fan base that i think is going to be all done um i think that might be a bridge too far for them but you know how it is with in, in pro football major college football win
1: baby win yeah
2: I, exactly and, and we have to remember that the, again the football context of this for willie taggart there were questions about his x's and o's and whether he was going to be whether he was good enough to handle his dream job. And now he had faced similar questions at USF, um, they similar questions at, at Western Kentucky, I'm sure, and Oregon too. And, and he, he proved that he was because he got those programs turned around. But he inherited a talented roster with a broken culture at Florida State, and then he they had a worse season. Uh, and it wasn't just on the field where they had their fewest points per game since '81, first losing season since '76, missed the bowl game. I mean, they showed on in, in the stands too because they had their lowest attendance since 1992. So mm-hmm. I, Willie knows, and every I think everybody up there knows, he wasn't in trouble in year one in terms of his his jeopardy and his long term future uh, at, with, with the job itself. But if he has another bad year, it, it could that could be it. Uh, and then he could lose his the, the job that he's won since he was you know uh, a little kid. So mm-hmm. he has to win baby win, as you say he has to he has to win now. and I think some of that is win at all costs. And if he wins, I think the Florida State fan base again, by and large won't care. Um, and if he loses, then the Florida State fan base by and large won't care. it's 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 that simple. it's uh, yeah. if he if he wins enough, it doesn't matter. If he doesn't win enough, then it doesn't matter either.
1: Yeah, there's no question that uh, Houston had a good offense, and and uh, certainly Bryles was a big part of that. And we'll see what they do there um, as we as we talk here on uh, what is a, a Wednesday morning when we do this podcast. One other uh, interesting hire that got a lot of attention, uh, and I think rightfully so, was Cliff Kingsbury going to USC to help Clay Helton, who fired T. Martin as his offensive coordinator. Some people think that Kingsbury might be a future NFL head coach. What what do you make of uh, of this hire for USC?
2: He's a really sharp dude. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 sometimes the, the air raid and that kind of system uh, gets a little bit um, poo-pooed upon, but you, you look at what some of those quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield's doing in the NFL and, and Pat Mahomes is, is doing in the NFL with no look passes and all that stuff. I don't think <laughs> it, I don't think the NFL cares anymore in terms of, or they certainly care a lot less in terms of the air raid. That stigma is, is, is disappearing. Um, I, I think Cliff's going to do a great job uh, at, at USC. Again, USC was similar because they had been pro-style for all these years and they, they kind of wore it like a badge of honor. I mean, you know, student body right and all that. We're, we're pro-style and, and that's who we are. Well, I, they've shown that now that they're okay to change with the times and they need to. I mean, again, Clay Helton was a guy that I think a lot of people thought might have been in his last season with the way they struggled down the stretch. He's, he hasn't seemed to fit at USC. They's, I think they were... Uh, I think a lot of the the fan base out there, the boosters, the people who matter, thought they could have hired someone better than him. So even though he was doing well in his first couple years, you they went to a Rose Bowl, went to, I think it was a Cotton Bowl last year, again, having fine seasons, not national championships, but fine seasons, I think people were were ready to get rid of him. So he knew he had to do something to spruce things up. And and Kingsbury, I think, was the the hottest um, uh, offensive coordinator on the market. There are people in, in college football who think that, (laughs) Helton might have signed his own death warrant almost because uh, if he does if the offense does really well and the team doesn't do well enough then there will be a push to get Kingsbury the head coach which is silly because he just got fired at Texas Tech for not winning enough Um, but but again the dude knows offense he knows what he's doing there I think he's going to have a very good offense immediately at USC and we'll see what he does in the future he either you know maybe I'll get another head coaching job shot in college or the NFL or sure. NFL offensive coordinator we'll, we'll see but dude knows what he's doing.
1: So much talent in the uh, LA area and in California in general I don't see how USC should ever have off seasons or bad seasons uh, with the recruiting classes they could generate out just in that area it's it's remarkable to me but you know if you got a good coordinator knows what to do with all that speed and all those players you can you can go a long way. Um, what is the general consensus? I mean, I know John Har- or Jim Harbaugh came out the other day, and much to uh, Steve Versnick's uh, delight, said that he is not looking to go.
0: Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Posting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash
1: For the NFL, um, my, I guess that decision was probably made the day that Urban Meyer said he wasn't coming back to Ohio State, but that's just a theory of mine. Um is is there any other coaches I mean would would it surprise you for example cuz the big name from from the NFL perspective I can tell you as far as college football goes always it's Nick Saban of course and he's asked to do something every year and has turned it down but Lincoln Riley seems to be the the hottest name uh and, sure. and for all the reasons you would imagine um is there any any talk hmm. in the college football circles that Riley would actually leave Oklahoma
2: I I don't I, don't, I mean could he for the right opportunity? Uh, you, I guess you'd never say never, but sure. he's in a great job. <clears throat> I mean, uh, OU is a, a fan base, obviously, that, that wants to win, but I think for, for a fan base of that level, I think their, their expectations are a little bit more understandable than maybe a Florida State or an Alabama or certainly, <laughs> certainly Auburn. Everybody knows how nuts their expectations are. So um, – <laughs> He's in a, in a, again, he's in a place with a lot of pressure, but they, they understand it a little bit more than some of the others. Um, obviously, he's getting paid handsomely. He's got very good um, facilities, and he's got a great athletic director and Joe Castiglione, who again, I think, is understanding in a lot of this, this stuff. So he's got a great job with a great administrator and everything he needs to be successful. There aren't a lot of places like that, Rick. I mean, a a lot of places have parts of those, but maybe they have instability at the top in terms of the president and the AD. And then, you know, with a new AD, you're one bad season away from being gone. Or they don't have the other infrastructure in place. Or um, the fan base is nuts. Or or the the resources financially with assistant coaching uh, pool is, is off or something like that. So I think he understands and should, or at least should understand, he is in a great, great, great spot. And if you leave yeah. that, even for the NFL, there's no guarantee you're going to get another one quite like it.
1: No, So that's true.
2: could he leave? Yeah, absolutely. But he's just kind of tutored two Heisman trophy winning quarterbacks in a row and has his team in the mm-hmm. playoff again. And he's mm-hmm. still pretty young. I mean, he's got a great situation. If I'm him, I think I want to see that through a little bit and see what you can do. And, you know, maybe the NFL, uh, maybe that's something an itch he can scratch down the line.
1: Yeah, he's young enough. He's got plenty of opportunity coming forward. And you're right, you don't get that chair back. You might get one similar, but you wouldn't get that one back if you leave Oklahoma. Um, so I, I'm with you. I, I think I think a lot of teams. I know in the NFL will throw a ton of money at him, but it's a different job too. You know, college football is a yep. totally different animal than, than the NFL. There's no question about that. Um, let, let me, uh, as far as issues go, I wanted to get your thoughts about this. Uh, West Virginia quarterback Will Greer is the latest to uh, announce yep. that he will skip the bowl game to focus on preparing for the NFL. And already that list includes guys like Ed Oliver from Houston and Noah Font from, from uh, the tight end from Iowa. these Williams. Yeah, Donnell <clears throat> Green, uh, Calvin Harmon from North Carolina State. I mean, Rashawn there, Gary. There's a ton of. Yeah. Greedy Williams, you're right from LSU. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a star studded list and this started, you know, in two thousand and sixteen with Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette. Um, I don't see it slowing down. Is this going to hurt college football or just what are what are they saying uh in the college circles about what, what they can do um to prevent it or do they do they even care? I mean, is it at the point now where, hey, we understand what's at risk for some of these players and playing in the peach bowl may not be enough incentive.
2: there's not much they can do i mean they'll obviously they want them to play um and those you know when when the players are thinking about turning pro those are the part that's part of the conversation we love we know we we think you can help your draft stock if you play one more game and do great and it was dante fowler a couple years ago had like three or three sacks four sacks in the birmingham bowl which certainly didn't hurt his his draft status um but, you know, the coaches understand the, the money that these guys could be making and could be losing. Um, it, there's not a whole lot they can do. It's just the, the matter of the fact. They can make their pitch. But if somebody's got a chance to go make millions here in four or five months and they don't want to risk it, there's no, there's nothing they can do. I, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they filled some of those holes. Um, it, it gives opportunities for younger guys to play. So I think that's something that they're going to have to think about as they use the four games that um, that, that freshmen can play or players can play without losing their, their, their red shirt, that's going to be something that I think they might have to calculate a little bit more in the future. But what's crazy to me, Rick, is just to think about how much things have changed in those two years. Like when, when right. Christian McCaffrey, I think he skipped the Sun Bowl and Fournette skipped the Citrus, I think it was. Um, th- that was a huge deal. But at least both of them had kind of Extenuating circumstances, right? Leonard Fournette had an ankle injury that wasn't 100%. McCaffrey was banged up during the season. They both needed to kind of—they weren't 100% healthy. And okay, at that point, why risk it? And, and they're running backs too, where you know, average lifespan. Yeah, they take a lot NFL, of
1: abuse. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: they—they they, they last like three years and, and then they're done. So hey, go get yeah. paid. But now it's yeah. the point where you've got guys at different positions who are healthy who are skipping. In. You know, greedy Williams. I don't know that he would really help his draft stock by playing against uh, UCF in the Fiesta Bowl, but he just said, nah, I, I'm I'm good. I don't need it. Um, and everybody seems okay with it. That's just a crazy shift in two years from, oh my goodness, what is going on with with, with how, how dare these kids do this to? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, why would you play? And the NFL has shown it doesn't really care. I mean, probably the top two defensive rookies right now, I think you probably say right, are, are Bradley Chubb and and Derwin uh, James who yes. both were first round picks and both skipped the bowl game. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's done. Nobody cares. And uh, it didn't hurt Derwin. Um, you know, he could have risked injuring his knee or something like that. So yeah, it, that's just kind of where college football is. And to me, it, it's a sign of how much bowls have been devalued and will continue to be devalued. Will Greer is an interesting new kind of milestone because he's I probably, I would say probably the first real quarterback, who was 100% yeah. to miss it. Um, Josh Rosen, was, I think he had a concussion, was kind of banged up maybe yeah. kind of sort of last year. Um, so he's a little bit uh, new there. But at, at some point, it's going to get to a point where a quarterback at a Rose Bowl or Fiesta Bowl says it's not worth it. And at some mm. point, there's going to be conversations about whether somebody decides the semifinal is not worth it. And those are going to be different roads to cross that will be really interesting down the line. But, but right now... You know, yeah, Michigan's going to be without Rashawn Gary when they play the Gators in the Peach Bowl. Okay, next.
1: Yeah, I mean, if Tua Tagovailoa last, next year uh, decides that he's skipping, you know, the semifinals um, because he's the number one pick in the draft, you'll have an issue. But, but you know, for every uh, for every guy that does it, I mean, I'm on the other end of this covering the NFL, and I completely understand it because, you know, talk to Jalen Smith or Jake Butt about what it cost them, you know, and whether they, would, if they had it to do over again, would, would like to skip. Um, would like to skip a, a bowl game, so you, you certainly see, you understand why uh, why that's the case.
2: The good thing with Jalen Smith is at least he's playing. You know, he's recovered and he's playing at a really high level. Where if he continues this, he he's gonna he he he's made some money, and if but he, if he's playing like this, he's gonna make a lot more money. But sure, the fact is he lost a lot of money on draft day. He did, and that's he did. money he will never see again. It's gone. That's exactly. He, he's right. he's only he's only gonna have. You know, however many years, to, 10 years maybe to play uh, pro football 12, if he was lucky. I don't know. And, yeah. and part of that paycheck is gone and will never come back.
1: Yeah. Big difference being a top 10 pick in the NFL draft versus wherever you end up after an injury like that. So that's tough. You got to play four years just to get to free agency. So it's, a, it's you know, most careers don't even last that long. So it's bowl season. We're not going to get into uh, really the really, really big games necessarily, but uh, some on tap this weekend already. My friend Herm Edwards is playing Fresno State and Jeff Tedford in the Las Vegas Bowl. People here in Tampa are familiar with Jeff Tedford for not coaching for Lovie Smith uh, when he had a little bit of a heart problem. and uh, and But, you know, he's come back. And one of the better stories in college football, he's, he, this is where he, he made his, his, you know, his name at Fresno and then went on to Cal after that. Um, and, of course, Herm Edwards, I don't know what your opinion was of Edwards when they hired him at ASU, uh, Matt, but it's actually gone pretty well.
2: It has gone pretty well.
1: Um, there's,
2: I, I didn't think it was going to work out. Um, he did not seem to quite understand some of the things. Maybe some of it was a <laughs> shtick, but he seemed surprised that you had to work so hard at recruiting all of the time. Yeah, that's how it works. I mean, Willie Taggart has a saying, you know, uh, recruiting is like uh, combing your hair or brushing your teeth. As soon as you stop doing it, it really starts to show. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, it, I guess we have to think, too, you know, Herm finished you know, seven and five, which which is fine. I, I think most of us had really low expectations. So, hey, you got, did well enough to get to a bowl game and a then probably the worst Power Five conference, the Pac-12, and the bad division of it, which is the Pac-12 South. Good on ya! And, and of course, his predecessor, Todd Graham, went seven and five last year and then got canned. So like, I mean, he didn't fail, and if that's the bar, then good on Herm for that. But I, I'm not sold yet. I mean, we'll, we'll see what he does. And, and this year, I guess, kind of the, the rest of the year and then recruiting and beyond. But Jeff Tedford has done a fantastic job at Fresno State. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm a, you know, I'm a member of the Football Writers Associ- uh, Association of America. Um, one of the things you get to do is kind of vote for coach of the year. And Jeff Tedford w- was one of the guys on, on my ballot. I mean, uh, he, he took over a program that went 1-11 in 2016, won 10 games last year, including the Bowl. Now they're 11-2. and They're a top twenty, top fifteen-ish team in my mind. uh, Mountain West champions, Um, and then again, a chance to to play a Pac-12 team uh, coached by Herm Edwards in a bowl game. So they've, you know, what what he's done out there has been remarkable. Um, Really, one of the best stories over the last couple years is what Tedford has done. And considering where he was not too long ago in his brief stint in Tampa Bay, where I think the only play call he ever ran was to get the heck out. Um, yeah.
1: good on, and then good on, on to Canada that. after that, I guess, and on, he went correct, to, Canada to Canada and coached in the, the CFL.
2: Yeah. Hamilton Tiger Cats, was it?
1: Yeah, I think you're right.
2: Uh, something like that. So, yeah, it, it was a little bit of a surprise, I think, when he got the Fresno job. But he has done mm-hmm. a remarkable job with it. And another good year like this, he could be getting himself up in conversations to, to get a, back to a Power 5 job
1: speaking of nostalgia we'll go back to the coaching end of it and and as we segue out into the in and out of the bowls just for a minute what'd you think of Mac Brown going back to North Carolina stupid <laughs> <laughs> in
2: a word <laughs> like what, why he, he's, he's he's a big name he's a big name there's no question and Mac's a nice guy i I've, I've talked to him before he, he's a personal guy uh he, he's your nice He's a nice grandpa. Um, (laughs) But, and again, he had a great run at at Texas there for a bit.
0: But he he also,
2: uh, for for a bit. And there's a reason he was, is no longer the coach. I mean, he started Mm -hmm. sliding at at Texas in the end where, you know, looking at his last five or four years here, five and seven, eight and five, nine and four, eight and five. That's not good enough at Texas. And it looked like in some ways kind of the, Game passed him by a little bit. Um, some of it is, is a little bit of luck. You look at when he was great. I mean, he had Vince Young at quarterback, followed by Colt McCoy at quarterback. Sure, that's really sure. rare to have two like you know great, great, great quarterbacks back to back. You know, obviously mm-hmm. OU's doing it now with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. But so there's a little bit of luck in that. Then then afterward he he regressed and, and it showed and he didn't seem to know what he was doing and it just ended not very well. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't know what the advantage is to hiring a guy who last coached in 2013 for North Carolina when, again, it wasn't like it's a great, uh, job market right now. There weren't a ton of really, really good jobs open. Um, UNC was one of the better ones, frankly. So they had a chance to go out and make a splashier or and they chose to go with a retread guy who hasn't coached in five years as opposed to like, a. You know, Scott Satterfield at Appalachian State, Louisville eventually snapped him up, and I think they're going to be better off for it here in the next couple of years because of it. But he was a guy, you know, from North Carolina, been coaching down the road at Appalachian State. He could have, I think, done a great job there at UNC, but they chose to go with Mac Brown, everybody's favorite grandpa football coach. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe it'll work out, but it just seemed like a really weird kind of, Dumb move to me.
1: Yeah, that was weird, for sure. Okay, back to the bowl games real quickly. Next yes. Thursday night, and uh, we may have have a chance to talk to you uh, early next week, so we'll, we'll ask you about this now. USF playing Marshall in the famed Gasparilla Bowl. Um, I think the USF needs a win here. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't think you want to go out with six straight losses, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, just to think f- from how USF's season turn, where they're seven and zero and there's talk that maybe Charlie Strong could be putting himself in contention for a Power 5 job um, to be able to to bounce after two years. I think, I think like a lot of people expect him to, and I'm getting all these angry notes because I don't have him in my top 25, to ending 0-5 with a chance at 0-6. That's huge. They need something to show that—I mean, heck, Charlie needs something to show that— he, he is in fact the coach they thought he was and he still has a lot more left in the tank and a lot more to prove to himself and to the university um again Marshall's not a, a super great opponent they do some things well but this is to me it's about USF and how what kind of you know what kind of level they're gonna play at they absolutely need a win they need a win uh, to, to boost themselves on the recruiting trail to, to boost their stature because you have to remember too in the background of all this stuff is the conference realignment thing Um That was popping up a little bit in the news again. It's not gonna, you know, again, nothing. I don't think anything's gonna happen tomorrow or anything anything like that. But they need to show that they are at least going to be a good program with a chance to continue to rise and be a good, a very good to great program in the future to keep themselves relevant. And going from good season last year, you know, good season in in Taggart's final year, down to seven and six with a, you know, ending the season 0-6. That's not a good thing for the trajectory of the program. So absolutely, they need a win.
1: Yeah, the offensive coordinator, Sterling Gilbert, amazingly, was hired as the head coach at Midnight State, so now they need someone else to call plays. And the speculation is, anyway, that their tight end special teams coach, Justin Burke, will be the one that will call plays against Marshall. So I guess Charlie Strong, if it doesn't work out uh, with Burke getting the job full-time, he needs to find an offensive coordinator, too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's – USF's offense was – it, it, was, it was interesting to watch the last couple of years because obviously it worked at a very high level under Willie and continued working without Quentin Flowers. But I've said this repeatedly this year yeah. when you lose a player like Quentin Flowers, one of your, you know, the best in school history, you typically don't get better. And they, they took a, a step back with, with Blake Barnett and then kind of the rotating um, <laughs> cast afterward. They need to decide on a quarterback long term. And they've got some other issues too. I mean, a, a, as good as. Um, uh, Cronkite has been at times they, they've had some issues with the run game, they've had some issues with the pass game their offense just seemed a little bit uninspired there especially in, in, in the struggles down the stretch. So uh, Charlie's got some work uh, he's got some work ahead of him uh, in the next couple of weeks and it's not just getting ready for Marshall. It's figuring out what he's going to do with OC and then getting the recruiting class he needs to, to boost himself up and give the bulls a real chance at competing with uh, you know maybe challenging the UCF down the road next year.
1: Speaking of recruiting, it's just uh, what next week—the early signing days or the first of two signing days—happens. Uh, That's when a lot of the the major programs, especially in the state, will sign some of their blue chip guys. Who do we expect to have the best recruiting class in the state of Florida? That's
2: a really good question. Um, I, I think it's going to be Florida State, but there's really? still some. Yeah, I mean, again, you have to remember the best thing that Willie Taggart does, or one of the best things that he does, he's a really, really good recruiter. Um, we saw some of that at, at USF. I mean, even just like some of the guys he didn't get, but he, he was in the ballpark and in the conversation with Ray, Ray McLeod from sickles, who was a five star who ended up signing with Clemson and being an integral part of their national title team. He was, you know, Ray, Ray up until signing day was really thinking about going signing with, with, uh, Willie and the bulls, um, so Willie did a really good job of closing on the class last year in his first uh, signing class at Florida State. Considering it, they were, the Knowles were outside the top fifty; they might have been like seventieth or something at one point. They closed, ending in the top fifteen. Um, so Willie is a, a very good recruiter right now. They've got the number thirteen class in the country. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to get a top ten class, but they're going to, you know, they should close pretty well. Florida right now is at twenty. One of the real surprises to me is Miami. Because for a while, uh, they, they had a you know, top-five class. This was going to be one of the years where they were going to be very good in, in recruiting. Um, and then they've had a whole bunch of decommits during the season and afterward. Right now, they're at 29. Um, then, again, another coaching carousel thing. As we record here on Wednesday morning, there's a lot of buzz that Manny Diaz, uh, the, the Hurricanes' defense, very good, I think, defensive coordinator and, and good recruiter, could become the new head coach at Temple, taking the job um, that Jeff Collins had so I don't know how that might affect things, too, for the Canes. So, so right now, I think FSU is going to have the, the top recruiting class in the state. And the, one of the other interesting things, just nationally real fast, Jimbo at A&M is right there at third in the country behind Alabama and Georgia. Wow. They've been wow. top. Yeah, for a while, those three have kind of been uh, cemented at the top. And so, you know, Bama's opened up a little bit of a lead on the others, but AM has been up there. We know Jimbo is a great recruiter. He had some ties to Texas, got some kids out of there in the past. Mario Edwards was a five-star from Denton. Marvin Wilson was a you know blue-chip defensive lineman. Um, and, and now that he's there in, in A&M, he's doing a very good job, which is setting himself up uh, to, to have a, a good run here in the next couple of years with the Aggies.
1: Always fascinating. College football beat never stops. Matt Baker is the best at it for the Tampa Bay Times. Matt, we appreciate your insights. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week.
2: You got it. Thanks, Rick.
1: Man, Matt Baker has a lot of information. I tell you, I don't know how he keeps it all straight, but he does a great job for us at the Tampa Bay Times.
0: Make sure you read him on tampabay.com. Well, Rick, some news that happened today out of Las Vegas at the baseball winter meetings. No, it was not about the Ray Stadium deal. No, they added a veteran starter to their pitching staff. Charlie Morton from the Astros signs a two-year, $30 million deal with an option for 2021. Now, the deal is pending a physical. Morton last season's 35 years old. He went 15-3 and with a 3.13 ERA. Those are career best for him, and ERA wins whip and strikeouts features a fastball average around 96 miles an hour but increased use of the curveball really helped him so uh, he presumably is now a starter along with Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now, and they may use the bullpen arm for the uh, the last two days of the rotation. So we'll get more into that as uh, the season gets closer to that. But the Rays add a veteran arm, $30 million deal for two years for Charlie Morton, who pitched for the Astros most recently. Lightning, a huge game tonight against Toronto, the top two teams in the Eastern Conference as the Maple Leafs come to town. But even bigger news for the Lightning – Andre Vasilevsky participated fully in practice on Wednesday, and it's probably likely he will be the starter in net tonight, depending on how he feels after a full practice and how he recovers from Wednesday. But odds are saying that it will be Andre Vasilevsky in net as the Maple Leafs come to town. Of course, the Lightning went 12-2 since his injury and are on a seven-game winning streak right now. Again, top two teams in the East. We're going to see John Tavares as a member of the Maple Leafs for the first time, uh, so it should be a great atmosphere at Amelie Arena tonight. And the Bucs have some news, too, as they're preparing to try uh, Travel to Baltimore this weekend to play the Ravens, but the NFL announced that the Bucks are one of five teams that will host an international game. There'll be four games in London next year, one in Mexico City. The Bucks, Chargers, Raiders, Jaguars, and Rams are all part of those teams that'll go overseas or to Mexico uh, to host a game. Now, this was part of their bid to host the Super Bowl in 2021. The Bucks had to agree to forfeit a home game within five years of that announcement, so that will be happening next season. We'll get into the Bucks Ravens game tomorrow on the podcast. This is a Football Friday. Also, look ahead to some of the bowl games over the weekend. I believe there's five of them on Saturday night. So,
1: as always, we appreciate you guys listening to us. We are here Monday through Friday. Um, you can interact with us on Twitter at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me at NFL Stroud, uh, or my email address is uh, rstroud at Tampa Bay. Dot com For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.
0: Hi, I'm Dori Shafriar. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today...